0: It's Sarah May, and this is a podcast about emotional eating. And um, if you're not an emotional eater, this is kind of about all negative emotional habits because it's about how we have grown the patterns of soothing to begin with. It's also how we manage uncomfortable feelings. Um, so I'm going to post a blog version of this with all of my reading references later this week. So check it out. Um, and this is going to be in three parts. Part one is the what, part two is why, part three is the tools. So we will have three-ish tools for you there. Um, and I will remind everybody just to enter the Headspace contest for a year of free meditation. Cause it's going to be awesome. I think you have a good chance of winning also cause it's a smaller pool. Um, and you can enter on Teaspoon of Happy. Alrighty, so part one, what is emotional eating? Basically any negative habits around food that relate to your emotional states. So it could be binging or overeating or uh, feelings of just complete lack of control, almost like a drug state related to food. It could also be uh, withholding food and then also losing control with food. It could be like a vicious cycle. Um, Or it could be binging and purging food. I mean, everybody's got a different relationship to food, so it manifests in different um, habits. So in short, food is a metaphor and eating is a metaphor and it's very tied to how we deal with other things in our life and relate to fear and pain. And we either soothe related to pain, or we run away from it, or we lash out and fight it, or we deny it. In Buddhism, they call these psychological types um, the grasping slash fear type, the rejecting slash anger type, or the denial slash adrift type. So depending on your type, you will react to stress in your life in kind of a predictable set of ways, and that's just based on how you grew up and the dynamics in your family. So your your family role kind of predicts a lot of your behavior in reaction to scary things. And it's basically how you learn how to cope. Um, so for example, one of the ways you might cope is food. But other habits, you know, totally different ones are like related to, you know, physical stuff like pulling out your hair, or maybe you actually lose your hair, or you lose sleep, or you sleep a lot, or you bouts of rage or whatever it is, all of these types of manifestations um, tie to coping skills. And this is just your coping skills as it manifests in relationship to food. Because when you emotionally eat, it's coming from a place of managing stress. It's a, a tool that you use that catalyzes a lack of connection to your body. And vicariously, it also disconnects you from feeling the rest of your emotions that are scary. But the unfortunate part of this is it's also disconnecting what your body is trying to tell you. So it becomes something completely removed from nutrition and nourishment. And therefore, that's the big problem with emotional eating. You're actually unable to connect your body related to how you need to be fed and how hungry you are. So it's it's accidentally uh, creating a complete just severance of your ability to feed yourself properly. And why this isn't such an important point is because this has everything to do with emotional soothing processes, and it has nothing to do with. The actual food, so the real properties of food, and diet, and uh, how much you like food, are completely irrelevant to your problem. I'm gonna say it again: it has nothing to do with food. Why am I stressing this so much? Because likely, if you have this issue, it has tr- greatly been tied to dieting in your life, and you probably relate it quite a bit to your physical appearance and your self image and You might Google things like dieting because it's the first stop. I mean, why wouldn't you think that? But it is implying, the word diet is implying that this is related to your inability to properly select the correct balance of nutrition. And I'm going to guess you're probably really aware of the amount of nutrition you should be having. You're not an idiot. You can read exactly what you're supposed to eat in a thousand cookbooks or in a 1000 nutrition books and you can see what other people eat. It's not like that impossible to understand proper ratios. This is not about your intelligence and your ability to understand what is best for you. This is about you and a soothing habit that has been ingrained into your managing that needs to be gutted, unearthed and understood. So that's my point which I will I would hope would comfort you because If you're looking into diet books, you're looking in the wrong place. It's not about what you eat. It's about this negative habit that you likely grew up with based on your family dynamics. Because food issues are very, very tied to family. They're ingrained from a primal age, and it's based on just how you felt in relationship to everyone else that defined your world. So I'm going to expand on this, but I will ask you as you listen, to please keep a completely open perspective because a lot of the time these layers of food issues are metaphors. They're metaphors for our feelings and for our powerlessness and how we manage what is overwhelming to us as children. So you might have a hard time believing a lot of it because it sounds so metaphorical, but just stay open. I, I feel like you will... If you assume that what I'm saying is probably true, then by the end of this, you'll come around and you, you might be surprised. Which brings me to part two, the why. So just like any other habit, it's going to take conscious effort and direct steps like you've, you've got to do some homework and you've got to take very specific actions based on that homework to break this because it's got a lot of layers and those layers are going to be very specific to you and your life experience. Um, but in general, the why behind uh, emotional eating is um, you have gotten used to food as a an extension of the way you deal with your un, uh, just unbearable or overwhelming pain or fear. And that is the pain and the fear of a child. That's why This is very hard to untrain and you might feel like powerless in the loop of these habits because the emotions of a child are extreme and they're very very powerful. So the reaction you are feeling sensing deep inside of yourself when you go into this state is the giant overwhelming fear and pain of your childhood self. It's not the rational thinking adult self. So in in general Feeding and food has a lot of layers even just tied to mothering, support, love. Um, It's nourishment and it's life. And it's if you feed something, you give it life and you give it support, you give it soothing. It also has a mental association with filling a void. So when you nourish kind of the emptiness of hunger, it kind of feels similar to when you have emotional emptiness or emotional pain. So it feels like a hunger pang. And for this reason, it gets kind of mixed up with emptiness uh, and the soothing of a neediness, like a hollowness in your life. Like if you have uncomfortable feelings deep down, this is uh, a way that people tend to try to nourish themselves emotionally to kill that pain. And it makes it kind of a natural uh, go-to to fill that pain because it's everywhere. I mean, food is like a default part of life, and so you're constantly around it. You have to feed yourself. So, in other words, it's it's a tool that's within reach. Like other people do this with drugs or with alcohol or with sex, but that's a much higher barrier to to reach that. So, if you're around food, of course, that's going to be a natural soothing uh, vice. So, in general, that there are. Let's say four different kinds of family dynamic. um, Family dynamics that set up a specific role and how that role makes you manage pain. So, if you have other siblings, maybe you don't have other siblings, but in general, one sibling will set up kind of the dynamic for the next one and how your family interacts together, whatever kind of family that is. You assume a different role based on the others that you are surrounded by. So, I'm just going to go through, I guess there are five, four. So the first one is you eat your pain. Like if you are a stuffer, it means you don't speak up and you uh, try to become invisible. So you self-soothe and uh, keep yourself, keep the pain deep inside. And so this is kind of like um, people that, that feel like a bottomless pit. You continually stuff, even if you're really full. And that's also something unconsciously that you do to stay invisible. You keep yourself um, out of play. For example, like if you are overeating and keeping yourself overweight, that is a way to stay completely hidden. Make yourself unnoticeable to others. It's totally unconscious. It's probably totally buried. Uh, The next one is... You control your pain, and that would be like uh, as a way to manage pain, as and a way to kind of manage what is terrifying and uncertain. You control it. You put it in your hands by creating a new version of it, um, and and directing your focus basically to something like food. So this would usually be in the family dynamic, the truth speaker, or the person that betr- like doesn't want. To accept what they see as wrong in the family. Um, And this might be the black sheep. So in, in eating disorders, this would be the binging and purging type of eating disorder. Because it's a way to say, like, fuck you to the hand that's feeding you. Is like, by basically vomiting it up. So it's the only thing in your power. And this is a way for you to take the reins. It's also a reaction that many people have to trauma. So if you have a severe trauma... There's a good chance if you have an eating disorder like bulimia, it probably happened right after the trauma. Because in the case of extreme discomfort inside of your body, like if you're suffering extreme amounts of anxiety and pain, the first thing you want to do is put a label on it. So in this case, it's an obsession with food, an obsession with quantifying amounts of food and, and your weight and uh tiny measures of what is good and what is bad and that becomes a complete all-consuming focus and it's also pain that's in your control that's something you can actually see in front of you and measure and it's not overwhelming and terrifying. Um, The next one you create your pain so this is if you are um, needing to soothe yourself by distracting yourself from inner pain And it's kind of a way to uh, control the source of it, and in in general, it can be any form of a food disorder. But it's usually something you do to um, to devoid yourself of feeling or disconnect your body. So it might be um, withholding food from yourself or not allowing yourself uh, enough food. And in general. When you have a constant focus on or a fear of food, you're creating an actual chemical imbalance. In all of these cases, you are creating a a physical, biological, chemical imbalance and your body is going to go out of whack, like way out of whack. So when this happens and you're not eating enough food, you'll probably, as an outcome, go into complete, you know, binging mode because you're starving. Your body's starving. So it's like because of this chemical imbalance, you're creating a crazy chemical uh like just seesaw basically. So this is something that can be hard to retrain just on, from a physical perspective if it's been going on for a very long time because your body is out of whack. You've just you've got to reset it manually. Um so the last description I have of a way that you might manage pain in your family is you numb it. And so that's like the um, the person that is basically di- disassociating or detaching. So if you are the type, type of person that like wants to turn off and that's how you deal with stress, you might be completely unconscious while you're eating and like sitting in front of the television, like consuming Uh, lots of food over an extended period of time and not having any connection to it whatsoever. So you're sort of like going into a weird autopilot mode. Um, And when you numb yourself, it's usually the instinct to want to numb yourself is self-protective because it's um, signaling that you have negative feelings inside you really don't want to look at and you are afraid to feel. And so it's a way to uh, completely chemically just press, press the off button. Like you're using the narcotic effects of the food, but you're also disassoci- disassociating yourself from your body in the process. So there's some overlap in those. Um, and in all cases, if you grew up in a household where you didn't have the proper tools to deal with something scary or painful, or maybe there was a lot of stress coming from your parents and they weren't unable to help you, or you felt invisible. It's very very likely that you are an emotional eater because this was a coping mechanism that you assumed. For a lot of people, if you have instability in your household, you have uh, as a child you have very little. Um, resource, so you have to do something with that pain, and if you don't have another outlet with like a, an adult you can rely on, it's gonna be turned inwards. It's gonna manifest in your and your behaviors. In all of these cases, this is just uh, I want you to be aware. This is something that's been set up uh, by something very very old in your life experience. It Has nothing to do with how much you love food, and that might be your rationale because. This is something. It's not the obvious place to look. Your family dynamics and your childhood. Um, but what's really important when you're figuring out your exact cocktail of a solution is what what is compounding your inability to change this is the cycle that has been created by your chemicals. So your chemicals being out of whack as a result of this can do things like make you feel hungrier all the time, like starving, and also more tired. Like you, you're you exhausted all the time and you don't want to exercise. So your body has been trained into this imbalance of your mind. And to undo that, a lot of it is going to have to be kind of um, all at once, to, to, total attack on all levels. You've got to treat the chemical imbalance part and you've got to treat the mental part. Um, so without further ado... I'm going to take you into the tools and just know that a large part of the underlying uh, what is creating this in your life is the emotions. There's some sort of emotions that are very old and they're very big that you are blocking. And therefore, I really think it's a perfect reason to go to therapy. And when you go to therapy, bring this up. Say this is what I want to tackle. Make it that your agenda like that's exactly how I would approach it if I were you because then you know exactly what you're trying to take apart and solve um the other half that is extremely important in uh trying to treat this yourself is exercise forcing yourself to exercise daily because that just gives you a leg up chemically to help you balance out it gives you like the most opportunity to be able to stay conscious and stay rational so I'm going to talk you through, in addition to that, what you can do that works for me. But I know in, um, depending on how how severe this is for you, how long it's been going on, and uh, how out of whack your chemicals are, it's like, I know that it can be um, discouraging if you're like, oh, I've tried everything. And this is like, so just assume that something, you might learn something from one of these. Don't discount them because... You're, you've lost hope because wh- whoever you are, whatever your habit is, there's absolutely no possibility that you cannot find help. There, I, that's impossible. You, of course, will figure out exactly what works for you. And if you haven't found that yet, I would be discouraged too. But there's something that you haven't treated yet. You have to get to the bottom of all of these roots. Emotional eating occurs often when you are depressed or... Uh, you're sleep deprived because your body is just craving uh, carbs because of um, lacking a lot of chemicals from not having enough sleep. So in order to bo- boost your energy because of that fatigue, it's going to make you feel hungrier. Um, additionally, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you have a uh, basic depression, eating is going to be something you're going to crave more just as a soothing way to kind of shut off or comfort your body, uh, chemically. And additionally, if you have anxiety or if you have some really old past trauma, this is going to be based on triggers. So you'll have, uh, specific emotional situations that cause you to automate and go into a self-soothing mode. Um, so I, I highly recommend a cytotherapist to help you treat the chemical imbalance side of this. And also somebody that can integrate your emotional history into that uh, solution is a a naturopath. And that's basically a doctor, like an MD, but a doctor who doesn't use meds. Like they use natural supplements, which are meds. I know they're meds. I mean, they're like, they have chemical properties that are in all medications. But I find it's like a little bit more of a... uh, treat the roots kind of you know holistic approach that's not so like band-aid medicine-y not to say I I would not support um both like I feel like a doctor is good too like a medical doctor so anyway anyway what I'm saying is hit it with all of the smarts you've got try different approaches try different kinds of doctors uh read lots of reviews read lots of user reviews um and I'll try and find some resources. I don't know if it's helpful because it's not necessarily in your neighborhood. But I'm going to try and put some people uh, I think are smart. And I'll put in links into this, into this blog post. And maybe you can even just call them or email them and ask them questions. Um, all right. Here we go. Tools. There are three. And uh, the first one is a mantra. And this is just kind of like I want you to remember it as a warning bell. So very much in these situations of emotional soothing, it's because you are disassociating and because you are disconnecting, there's a a little stage right before that happens where you can kind of witness it from a conscious place. Like I'm about to go into this state and you almost are like sad and letting go, but you're aware that it's happening. So this is a mantra for that stage because it's, it's easy to allow yourself to slip into the ritual of emotional eating that you think you are completely forever going to be a victim of. But there, when you can remind yourself of your conscious uh, decision-making, you are better able to choose differently in those instances. Because I think a lot of the time we think we want that thing. We want to soothe. We want our uh, chemical shut off. But if you can remind yourself of your your actual, literal, conscious decision-making, you are sometimes um, much better able to snap yourself out of it. So the mantra is called bottomless pit. And so this is like a warning bell. And when you're in that stage of seeking out, like, what am I craving? And you're, like, kind of prepping for, like, you want something else and you're not satiated and like, what is it that I want? What do I need? What am I like trying to, to find so badly? If you start to notice you still just can't get full or you are, are looking for something that you can't seem to find, just remember the term, I'm a bottomless pit. Like there is no end. There is nothing that will ever fill me. And then you can kind of rem- like as soon as you realize I'm a bottomless pit, it's like you're able to sort of remember, like even if you can't feel it physically, you're able to remember my body isn't hungry. My body is not looking for food right now um, and just disengage, like step away and either go to sleep or go to exercise, like whatever time of day it is, you need to jump into an opposite and predecided decided uh, environment or action. So for me, it's always late at night and I'm like, I'm going to go to sleep now. For you, it could be like, go take a shower or do your nails. It needs to be something that is taking uh, your focus into a completely different ritual that is going to involve time. Because if you can spend enough time in this new action, it's very likely that the chemicals will calm themselves down in your brain, like the, the uh, kind of the trigger effect that is causing you to want to soothe. Will balance out again. So it's just like it's about buying time. So choose a ritual that will take up uh, preparation and time. Bottomless pit. Number two is um, basically get a new vial or let's call it bo- bottle. It's it sounds kind of dark, but it's not meant to be dark. But it's basically like you're you're replacing you wanna replace the chemical addiction. And so you're likely choosing this habit in a conscious state, and you likely also assume you, can't, you have no choice in choosing it, but that's because it's like, it is a chemical addiction. You're, you're getting a, a drug-like reaction from this process. And so this tool is about finding other chemical-inducing habits that you can trade it out for. So this is a soothing addiction, because it, it's releasing dopamine. Like the act of eating food releases a chemical that's similar to taking drugs and eating chocolate and um, smoking cigarettes. So you've got to find something else that induces the same chemicals, but more effectively. So things like that are medita- uh, meditation, exercise, uh, breathing exercises, anything that you can get kind of an in- endorphin rush from, but not drugs. Okay, people, let's not do drugs in the place of this. So because this is a soothing addiction, it's something you do kind of out of compulsion, and it's like a unconscious in that you don't understand why you're doing it, but you actually hate the habit. Although it feels like you want it, and you are doing it because you want this thing, you actually hate it. So you're probably so sick of just this problem in your life and you just wish it was never a part of your life and you probably envy other people who do do not suffer from this So this is a habit that is just an unconscious compulsion but it's it's an addiction that's happening on a chemical level and it's not something that is part of you it's not who you are it's not an expression of you as an individual or what you actually want So if you think about it right now, rationally, you do not want it. You do not like it. There is no part of you that really does appreciate this thing. That is just the chemical effect on your brain. And your body does not feel good as a result of it. So none of this is part of you. It's something you have to figure out how you can separate from it. Uh, So activities that can replace this chemical, besides exercise, I think Doing a, a forward fold, anything where you can put your heart above your head. So if you think about a handstand or just like folding down like your head is uh, kind of trying to touch your toes, basically, that helps get blood to your head and it helps kind of calm you. Um, another really good uh, chemical soothing process that I use quite often is a, uh, it's a breathing exercise for lack of a better word, I call it hang-loose breathing because you make your your fingers in the shape of a hang-loose symbol. And you basically take slow, even breaths and use one, your pinky finger, to plug your right nostril and breathe all the way in on the left side. Then you use your thumb to plug your left nostril and you breathe all the way out on your right side. Keep it plugged. And you breathe all the way back in on the right side. Plug that nostril. Let go with your thumb. Breathe all the way out on the left side. Keep it plugged. Keep, breathe all the way back in on the left side, and keep going. I usually do twenty of those breaths. I also tend to do a handstand because I think it's kind of awesome. It's like a secret, awesome ritual, um, and I do that in all sorts of places. <laughs> it's very effective. Um, but in any, if you can't really do anything that looks obvious, I recommend just slow. Deep breaths in and out with your mouth closed, and um, just focus really hard on the sound of your breath. And if you can do this, that type of breathing, ujjayi breathing, as they call it, if you do that at the same time as doing a forward fold or even downward dog, it works doubly fast. Um, And it takes like constant effort. Like if it doesn't work at first, you've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep doing it like your life depends on it. And it's all about finding that one habit that works for you and then waiting to to stop before you actually, or sorry, waiting to stop until you get the actual results of it. So you have to commit to it and keep doing it until you actually experience the results. And that's, sometimes it's just going to take like doing it for a really long time. Like you'll find yourself throwing yourself into these habits you know, like five or six times a day for hours and you're like exhausted and you're thinking, this is crazy, but keep at it because what happens is one day, not too long after that, I would say like, I don't know, a couple weeks in, you'll find you're actually seeing the results and your brain is calmed down and you are you've actually grown the habit to the point where you love it. You rely on it and it soothes you and you love it. And it becomes your new tool. It's like a go-to tool that you had to force to be that way. But just commit to doing it and going for it hard for as long as it takes till you actually feel the soothing results. And I'm going to be creating some video content soon. So I'll have some breathing exercises that I will spell out for you in physical form. Uh, So the last tool is a it's pretty much, um, prep that you can do ahead of time. And I'm just calling it baby proofing, uh, because people know what that means, but it's you're, you want to baby proof your environment based on your particular triggers. So to, to get this list of triggers, um, you have to really take apart when this happens to you the most. So for example, if you, let's say go to happy hour and, uh, you're with people from work, and you end up like unconsciously overeating like every single time without fail. That is a trigger environment for you. There's probably a reason that you feel uncomfortable, and it's reminding you of some other dynamic from your your childhood. So for example, if that was, let's say you get very triggered in professional situations when you have to act a certain way, that would be uh, related to if you had a family dynamic where everybody acted like everything was okay and everything was not okay, or if you had to pretend like everything was okay, and when that made you feel very uncomfortable, you probably stuffed or overate to soothe yourself. So that's just one example of a parallel. So whatever they are, just spend some time writing down a list of like when you you find you are triggered or when you are having this um, habit occur the most. Like what is the stage for that to happen? And if it's confusing to you, just figure out like what what is the uh, step right before or the situation right before this tends to occur? Are you alone? Are you at home? What time of day is it? What types of situations? Um, And then you basically want to create everything you can do consciously to prevent yourself from having that occur, so if it was baby proofing, let's say your house, you want to remove the place you sit when you do this thing. You want to change the setup of the furniture itself. You want to create a uh, any kind of warning sign for yourself that you could potentially notice on your way to kind of fulfilling this prophecy, like if there was some way that you could change like where the TV sits or maybe you make a rule for yourself you're not going to watch television after work late at night if that's when this is occurring the most. So you want to do everything you can to proof your house and try and shift anything. Lean into the change. So anything you can do to make some sort of uh, new Reminder to yourself that does not feel like it's going to blend into the background. So, including things like changing what you buy, like your actual groceries, shift the product you're selecting, and really try and stay completely focused and tuned to those things while you are consuming them. So, for example, I got this from Fam- Pam Grout, but I literally thank my food before I eat it. I say, Thank you for nourishing me. And I try and think positively about that food, also because anything plant-based or water-based reacts to energy. If you've ever seen What the Bleep Do We Know, it's science, y'all. So anything you can do to stay more connected to your food is a positive, including actually preparing it. Like if you don't cook, if you start cooking and you actually go through the process of preparing food, it creates a much more... um, meaningful ritual around what it is you are consuming additionally if you ever try growing things in a garden it is a huge connection point to what you're eating just having in a way birthed that thing and then being able to have a connection to it while you're eating it I know that sounds kind of gross I talked about birth and eating uh gross anyway um so staying conscious while you're eating and really trying to to make it into a much more uh, present experience. Also, things like actually slowing down while you eat are really important. So, like sitting down, having um, a drink while you are eating food, and then like really paying attention to the flavors of the food as opposed to typing on a computer at the same time, like responding to work emails. You get my point. Take some time, first of all, figure out trigger situations. And if they're things that you can't, you feel like you can't avoid, I feel like everybody thinks there are things they cannot avoid. You can. So if it was the work happy hour, don't go. Cut those out of your schedule. If this is a trigger situation, cut it out. And don't make excuses like, I feel like a lot of people have situations with like, but I have to, but it's expected. And if they don't, then I don't get to do blankets. It's like, choose in favor of your health. Choose in favor of progress. You can always go back to those things once this healing is done, but until then, you are you're keeping this wound open by continuing this unhealth, and it's not worth it. Conversely, if you have situations that you you have to be in that you wish to like, you wish you could get out of. Let's say you have to travel for work, and you feel very very um, out of sorts whenever you're traveling with people you don't like, and you're in places you don't want to be, and it feels very uprooting, you will be creating all the support for yourself, like basically write a pre-plan, like an if-then plan for how you are going to support yourself in those predicted trigger situations. So if you are, for example, forced to go out to, let's say, client dinners, and you have to like play act and you feel terrible, you will have a safety plan that is, um, Somebody that's going to call you at intervals and you'll set up ahead of time. I have to take phone calls. I'm very sorry. Some stuff is happening at home. That's going to be your little secret safety plan for yourself to keep yourself grounded. Protect yourself. Show you that you are there for you and make sure you are planning ahead of time for all of those situations. I think once you plan the shit out of everything, you really induce this form of confidence and safety in your own self just because you have thought it out so well. So don't take your happiness and mental calm lightly. Um, so I hope those helped, and, uh, or I hope they help in the future. So I know in a lot of this, it's a battle that you've probably fought very hard for a very long time. And I know that when you've done something like that, it can be difficult to, to believe anything is going to be different. So I, I will say the first thing I want you to remember is you will absolutely find the tools that work for you and you should always just be realistic and have that hope you should not ever believe otherwise so this is a compulsion start there separate it from you the person this is something that has you beat at the moment but you are going to seek out every tool possible and you're going to via educating yourself Further distance yourself from this problem. So you just have to get really objective about it. And think of it like you are removing a growth, like a parasite is stuck in your body, and you are removing it from your happy, balanced person. Because you are going to be who you are You are in reality, yourself, once you fix this tiny blip. Um, and once you can kind of see your way around the chemical talons of this problem that kind of have hooked into your emotions, the spell will be broken forever. So right now it's a pattern you don't believe can be broken, but it's like once you figure out how to how to break it, like once you figure out that tool for the first time, it's like you will never unknow that truth. It will never go away. You will never have to worry about this happening to you again. I know it sucks when you feel powerless and it, it feels terrifying when you've tried everything and you've, lo- you've failed so you lose hope. So I would say having been there I can say that once you stop being afraid of this path and taking it for real and you just start walking it for the good of your health and you say I'm gonna fucking go for this things get much clearer than they ever ever could be from where you are now. In other words once you find the right support and you build like an armada around yourself You will never ever fall backwards because you will be gaining new kinds of momentum, and it's not uh, it's not worth it to isolate yourself. Like yes, you probably got here because you are a very very capable and efficient person. Like if you're a type A person, you probably believe you don't have any hope because you so far in your life have been able to accomplish everything yourself, and if you can't accomplish this, you're screwed because. No one else is ever going to be able to help you. That's what everybody thinks. But that's not the way you should handle your own help. That is the one downfall of a type a -er. So I would say don't base your life on the pattern of the past. And don't suffer alone in disempowerment. So just start now and build your support armada. Hire it. Treat it like it's a pitch or a job interview and you really want it. And do it right. Do it with the right resources and don't do it alone. Just get it done right like you would anything else in your life. So if you are concerned about if you will ever stop struggling with something like food or eating or your weight, of course you will. You will absolutely solve this and you will literally be free of it for the rest of your life. It's not something you have to hold on to forever. It starts with a decision. To go for it and it stays with you forever just because it comes in the form of truth. Once you get there, you will never unknow it. So seek it out, apply it, apply things aggressively just as much as you can, and you will start to see results. And as soon as that happens, your spell will be broken too. And from there, it's like the best thing in the world. It's like your whole life changes in like just the lights turn on in a wonderful way. You get your life back. You get your true untangled self back. Uh, so go for it. And I, if you have the time, I'd love a review on iTunes or a love on SoundCloud, anything really. And I send you my love and vibes of positivity. And don't forget to smile.